Well, this morning's lesson, I've entitled it, The Goodness of God. It comes from Genesis 41, and the theme I've just chose was from the dungeon to the palace. You know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? How we have seen the goodness of God working in the life of Joseph, just as he does with every believer who genuinely loves and God and wants to obey him. You know, as we study the life of Joseph, I, I, I'm sure it makes some of us recall some of the trials, the tribulations that you and I have encountered and how the Lord has brought you through those trials. And hopefully when you come through them, you become even stronger in your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as we journey through this life. In fact, if I would ask this morning for someone to stand up and tell us how the Lord Jesus has helped you in the midst of the storms of your life, I'm sure there would be many testimonies to get up and proclaim that. And yet, we are all children in the family of Christ Jesus, and He is shaping our minds, our character, our whole being to be more like Christ. And He does it through the work of the Holy Spirit teaching us through His Word, which contains everything that we need in order to live a godly life so that we will walk in a manner worthy of our calling and learn to love one another even more as Christ loves us. You know, there are, there are many verses of Scripture that I'm sure each one of you may have your own specific, special verse that you hold on to during these special times when it seems as if the world is upside down for you. You know, one of my favorites is from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. But, you know, sometimes I like to personalize verses, especially when I'm going through a problem. And on the screen, you're going to see it as it's written in Scripture. But I want to read it to you like I would read it if I was having a problem. So, therefore, I do not lose heart. But though my outer man is decaying, Yet my inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for me an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While I look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. I hope each one of you have a verse that you can claim like that. Well, you may have forgotten, or maybe you've never asked or wondered, how did Jacob know about God and in turn teach his children about God? Well, if we go back in Genesis, we find that God had revealed himself to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And then also many other times, we'll see it in Genesis chapter 15 through chapter 18. And then we find that God also appeared to Isaac, Abraham's son, in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 5. Also on other occasions, he spoke to Isaac. And then he also appeared to Jacob, Jacob, Joseph's father, five times from Genesis 28 to Genesis 35. And so Joseph and all of his brothers and sisters would have been taught by his father. Now today, and his mother too probably, 
Today, God has spoken to us, though, through His Word. And so it becomes a responsibility for us, doesn't it, to teach our children about the God that we love, the God who rescues people. Well, in our previous study, we've learned that Joseph has now, instead of having dreams about himself, he has now uh, been given the ability by God to interpret the dreams of others. After God gave him that ability to interpret the dreams of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, you remember, he had only asked the cupbearer to keep him in mind when it went well with him so that he could speak to Pharaoh to restore him as he has been restored by the Pharaoh, this, this cupbearer. He just wants to be out of prison. Well, it didn't go so well, did it, for the, for the baker? Because as soon as he was released, he had been hanged. But the cupbearer, the cupbearer was restored. However, he forgot after he had been released and restored. And now it's been two full years. Two full years has passed. Joseph most likely has thought, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. But then all of a sudden, we see Pharaoh has two dreams, one regarding cows and the other regarding grain, that none of his magicians, none of his wise men or counselors were able to interpret. And it has been driving this Pharaoh crazy. Now, remember from our previous study that it was during this time that the chief cupbearer, finally he remembers Joseph, and he confesses the wrong that he did against him. He recounted for Pharaoh what had happened with this young Hebrew man who had interpreted his dream and also the dream of the chief baker and how everything happened just as he had said it would. Now, we're not told if the cupbearer told Pharaoh Joseph's name, but we do know that he told him that Joseph was a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. Most likely, that's referring to Potiphar here. And so it wouldn't have been a problem then for the Pharaoh to find out that it was Joseph and where he was imprisoned. And so Pharaoh, we see, is sent. He's called for Joseph to be presented before him. Now, evidently, Joseph wasn't exactly presentable. You can imagine living in a dungeon for two years in prison. And so they quickly had him shave, gave him his change of clothes, and they brought Joseph then to Pharaoh. Now, the guards would have most likely have delivered Pharaoh to, or uh, delivered Joseph to Pharaoh because they didn't know what was about to happen. Could Joseph actually satisfy the king's demand, or would he be hanged just like he did the baker? Well, if you had been there, think about that. If you had been there as an observer of this going on, most likely you would have seen a lot of tension. On behalf of the magicians and the counselors, some would have been excited. Some would have been fearful. The air would have been thick. It would have been suspenseful as they are anxiously awaiting to see the results. Now, when we read this account, it's amazing here that God's predetermined time to get Joseph out of prison, how it happened so quickly. Pharaoh's dreams were actually a revelation from God to Pharaoh. A pharaoh, a pagan king of Egypt, he received it. 
but neither he nor any of his royal court could understand it. Or maybe he, they did, as Jeff taught us a few weeks ago, but they were afraid. They were afraid of Pharaoh to explain it to him. I kind of look at it kind of like a person who, who reads the Bible. You remember those kind of people? who They need help from a man or woman to understand what it really means. You ever met somebody like that? It's exciting when you do, but it's also very sobering. And you pray that you will accurately explain the truth of God's Word to him or her from Scripture. Well, it's been a long time for Joseph. Two whole years for this, waiting for this very moment. But as he encounters the cupbearer, we don't see a speck of ill will shown by Joseph towards this cupbearer because he had forgotten to mention Joseph to the Pharaoh. But let me ask you, how, how do you think you might have reacted? Would you have addressed the cup weather with, it's about time! Or maybe you would have even used harsher words than that. And as I said, nothing is told to us about how Joseph reacted to this cupbearer. Because it's really meaningless, isn't it, to think about it. But knowing Joseph, I'm sure that he would have been kind, very kind towards this cupbearer. And you know what? If, if we're honest with ourselves, when things aren't exactly going the way we want or how we think they should be, don't we sometimes feel that, oh, God, you're just not hearing my prayer Maybe it seems as if he isn't doing anything. I mean, for Joseph, after all, it's been two years. But for us as true believers, we know, we know in our hearts, don't we? That when his timing is right, when God's timing is right, everything will come together because during those times, God is still doing his work according to his will. And during those times, it's when he's developing our character, our attitudes, and he's molding us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what has been taking place in Joseph's training camp. God has been molding his character, his attitude, as we have been reading about now for 13 years. 13 years of his life. Think about your own life. How long have you been a believer? Well, there may be some here who are really new believers. And there may be some who are here for 5, 10, 15 years in their faith. Maybe some over 40 years in their faith. The point is that we are all at different stages in our training camps. Let's review now then the test that Rod spoke about last week. We have seen how Pharaoh gave Joseph a golden opportunity to claim praise for himself. But once again, Joseph has refused. Joseph didn't use this as an opportunity to glorify himself before Pharaoh, but only to glorify God. As I studied this, as I studied in this passage, I wondered, you know, how many opportunities have you and I had and we failed to give God the glory? You know, as we learn from verses 14 to 33, after Pharaoh had Joseph brought to him and had, he had explained his dreams, Joseph told him it wasn't himself 
who revealed these dreams. It was God. And that God would give Pharaoh an answer. But not just an any old answer. He would give him a favorable answer. One which Joseph was able then to disclose to Pharaoh. And with it then, in verses 34 to 36, the proposal that God had laid upon Joseph's heart to enable Egypt, think about that, to enable Egypt to provide food for many during this upcoming famine. Do you remember what the plan was that God laid upon Joseph's heart? Again, which Rod explained last week. The plan was actually twofold. Remember that? The first of that plan was that in the seven years of plenty, they were to do what? Purchase one-fifth of all the grain. The second part of that plan was then <laughs> to store it as a reserve during the seven years of famine. This will save Pharaoh's people in their own kingdom, in his own kingdom from starvation. But also think about this. The Pharaoh may have been thinking that with this reserve he will have, it might not only supply the people of his country with food, which will be scarce during these seven years, but also any excess he could sell and become a lot richer as the Pharaoh of Egypt. Remember Rod explained that as a world power, most always they will have excess and they will export that to other countries. Then Joseph told Pharaoh that in order to accomplish this, that gathering must be diligent. It must be improved in how to accomplish this because you're only going to have seven years to do it. After that seven years of famine, after that will come seven years of famine. And even though Scripture doesn't say it, it's going to be a time where if it's done right, it will earn the Pharaoh a great income. Selling the grain, they now have abundance of. And it will be a time of spending like never before because when few people are starving, they will give anything they have for food. Oh, wow. And Joseph tells the Pharaoh, they're going to need to appoint someone over that. Someone who is discerning, someone who is wise, who could then promote the overseers and who could collect the one-fifth of the produce and then store it up for the coming lean or the years of drought. It made me kind of think of the ant. You remember the ant? Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, how she prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. And so Joseph now advised Pharaoh. Can you even imagine that? This Hebrew, a Jewish man who's been in prison and is now instructing the Pharaoh of Egypt to appoint officers who should be their business to accomplish this and that the Pharaoh needed to select some person that could preside over it. Boy, pretty brave, I would say. Well, who is this Pharaoh anyway? Well, as best as can be determined at this time in history, the shepherd ruler, as they were called, or we know them as the pharaohs, this was the king over all of Egypt. And it was probably, they say, that of Apepi, of whom there are several striking memorials preserved, especially a portrait statue that's in the British Museum. And it shows him being refined and strong and dignified. Now think about this entire scenario. 
What would have happened if Joseph had just interpreted the dreams and said nothing else? He just went silent. Most likely, if Joseph had not advised Pharaoh on how to do this, then nothing would have been done. And you're saying, why not? It's because the counselors that he had, they could not improve the collection any more than the magicians or the counselors could interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. None of them had probably any, any experience in that kind of thing. And Joseph was now in the business now of fulfilling what Psalm 105, verses 16 through 25 says. We've been talking about that for several weeks. It refers to Joseph when he was sold as a slave, put in prison, and now we are at the time we're reading right now. Joseph himself, I don't believe, had any idea that he was fulfilling the plans that God had predetermined for him to accomplish. God has shown Pharaoh by his dreams what is going to happen, and Joseph has interpreted the dreams. And in verses 33 to 36, he tells Pharaoh what he must do, not only to avoid their people from starving, but also many other nations, including Joseph's own people. With that said then, open your Bibles with me, please, to Genesis chapter 41. And let's begin in verse 37. I'm only going to read the first verse here where our lesson begins this morning. It says in verse 37, Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his servants. <laughs> wow. It seems that everyone there is in agreement. This sounds pretty, pretty good because famines were not new. They have been there before and they know what happens. They ravage the land. But Joseph's being able to warn them in advance by interpreting the dreams and then lay out this plan from the Lord, it seems like whew, this is a real deal. Astonishing as most of them probably were, but especially the Pharaoh of Egypt. So let's continue to read then in verses 38 to 43 how Joseph then will move from the dungeon to the palace. It says in verse 38, then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom there is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put on a gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee, and he set before him all the land of Egypt. And so we see here the Pharaoh, he sees Joseph just as Potiphar did and the chief jailer had previously. They saw something very special about Joseph. And Pharaoh acknowledges Joseph has a divine spirit and that there is no one who is so discerning and so wise in all the land as Joseph. Pharaoh has admitted that none of his own personal counselors, magicians, and false gods had, had, has done or could do what Joseph has done. And he's done it by his God. 
So what, what it must have been like for these magicians and these wise counselors to have someone they've never heard of before come from prison and reveal the dreams of the Pharaoh as Joseph has been doing and then, he, and then telling the Pharaoh what they're supposed to do, especially when they were unable to do it themselves. Then Pharaoh even saying that Joseph has a divine spirit. They had to have felt embarrassed and, and dejected as this Hebrew slave, a prisoner, has made them look inadequate and foolish. And you may be thinking, well, well, wait a minute here. It looks like Pharaoh must believe in God because he is acknowledging Joseph has a divine spirit. Well, John MacArthur says that when it says the Pharaoh had said Joseph has a divine spirit, it does not mean like the third person of the Trinity or of the Holy Spirit because they didn't understand the Trinity. It simply meant to Pharaoh that Joseph had been assisted by a little g-god. Because you have to remember, as you go back in history, remember ancient Egypt and their Egyptian gods and goddesses? They made up a pantheon of over 2,000 gods that they worshipped. Names of many of their more important ones, whose names are still well known, such as those I've put in the boxes, the first being Isis and Horus or Ra. Ra was the most revered. But there were many more who were less important, but who were nonetheless important to those who worshipped them. These false gods. But the only true and the only living God was giving Pharaoh dreams, a revelation from God to him. Do you see how God is using here even the unbelievers to accomplish his plans? The Pharaoh has received it, but he could not understand it. It was kind of like that person I said before who reads the Bible but needs help from a man or woman of God to understand it. Kind of like that Ethiopian in the New Testament. You know, there's nothing remote, there's nothing detached about the way that God works. He's a hands-on creator. He is committed to His people, absorbed in His steadfast love in accomplishing His will and what is best for you and me. And so we are seeing in this passage then how God uses believers and unbelievers to accomplish His will, but especially believers who have faith and trust in Him in order to accomplish it. Kind of reminds me of Romans 8, 28. It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. Have you ever experienced anyone who reads the Bible and they don't understand it like that Ethiopian? Well, these magicians, these counselors, remember, all they had were these false gods of wood and stone and precious metals. And even though they called upon them, they weren't able to do anything. It kind of reminds me of what it says in Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18. It says, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouth. 
Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. You know, Tom, if you've been here for very long, he's taught us how man's hearts are idle factories. We carry them all around with us all the time and we don't even realize it. In fact, this morning, you're probably carrying one or two of them right now. We carry them in our billfold or our purses and refer to them as our currency. And I definitely don't want you to be idle worshippers, so if you would just please take them all out of your billfolds or purses and pass them down, I'll gladly dispose of them for you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think you get the point, though. For so many today, their God, their money, is their idol. But the God of Joseph and all of us who know Him as our Lord and Savior, He is a real living God. A God who sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life without ever committing any sin. Who gave His life by dying on a cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. And then he rose from the dead as proof that he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life in which you and I will ever be able to enter into heaven. And it is simply by acknowledging and repenting of your sin and placing your faith, which is believing and trusting in him, alone for your salvation that you will ever have eternal life. You know what? Even our faith, the ability to believe, is a gift from God. Our God is sovereign God. He is in control over all things, from the greatest to the smallest of the molecules or atoms, and there is not one missing without His authority. God has used Joseph to give Egypt the ability to survive the next 14 years, and in the process, He's going to save Israel slash Jacob, the father of Joseph, without either of them knowing or understanding how God is working all this out. And the same is true for us today. When you are trying to share Christ and they say to you, where is your God? I don't see Him working anywhere. Everything's just the same as it was. Nothing ever changes. Well, what can you say to that? Well, you go to Psalm 115 verse 3 and you tell them, you know what? Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. Yes, our God is on His throne and He is doing whatever He pleases. And He is working in our lives in ways which we can't even see or imagine. Just as He did with Joseph. This plan of Joseph, it makes perfect sense to Pharaoh. But think about this. Joseph could not possibly have expected the sudden, the startling answer of Pharaoh. It must have shocked the magicians, the wise men, the counselors, as Pharaoh now promotes Joseph. Promotes him, only this time it's over Pharaoh's house. This is now the third time we see that Joseph had this privilege. Remember the first time? It was the overseer of Potiphar's house. The second was the chief jailer as overseer over all the prisoners. But this is the highest ranking of all of them. And then Pharaoh adds to that by saying this, all will pay homage to Joseph. 
which in the Hebrew means to pay reverence to by external action. Notice it says that even Pharaoh will pay homage to Joseph, except when? Except when he's on his throne. And that's because the throne is the object of his authority. That's where they see him. And so Joseph has very quickly, very unexpectedly, been given all the marks of honor unimaginable to commend him to the high esteem and respect of the people of Egypt as the king's favorite now, the one whom he delights to honor. And he he also then made Joseph second in command of Egypt, over all the land of Egypt, not just part of it, over all of it. And along with that, though, that means he has to have the authority of the Pharaoh to make transactions. And so the Pharaoh gives Joseph then a signet ring, a royal seal, which authorized Joseph to handle the affairs of the nation on behalf of uh, Pharaoh himself. This would verify then or give authenticity to a document. See, they would melt wax like the red signet there, and they would take the signet ring then and, and stamp it with the mark of the king in this hot wax, leaving the imprint of the seal of Pharaoh. We see that also in Revelation, don't we, the seals. Next, we see then the ratification of Joseph's commission. As second in command, that means with such authority, he needs to be dressed different. He needs to be dressed in royal apparel, and he's given garments of fine linen. And this wasn't just any old cotton linen. This was garments worn by royalty, a long ways from his prison garments. Now think about those that are in the king's palaces. They don't wear the clothes of their subjects like us, do they? They wear beautiful royal clothing. So remember that, remember this, early in the morning, where was Joseph? He was in prison. He could have even been in chains. But before nightfall, he has now been adorned with authority. He's given a ring and fine linen of royalty. Remember back when Joseph had been given a robe of many colors? Remember that? And Jacob had placed Joseph above all of his brothers? But they didn't like it, did they? And they stripped him of it, and they sold him into slavery. And now, 13 years later, God has returned Joseph's robe, but even with greater position, now with authority, and even wearing a chain of gold. A chain of gold, it was a gift as a symbol of highest distinction. God was and then still is, and now still is of great, gold was then rather, (laughs) was then and still is of great value. And it served as Pharaoh's reward then for interpreting his dreams. But it was also a, a, a symbol of honor. And so to top that off, Joseph still needs transportation to be acknowledged to the Pharaoh So the Pharaoh had him then ride in the second chariot. The second chariot. Now, chariots were to them like limousines are to us. Man, Joseph is riding in high cotton, high style. And so we're riding in the second chariot signified that he was indeed second in command. And it was proclaimed before him by those who were mounted on mounted guards, or maybe they were couriers of the Pharaoh riding ahead or running ahead, Announcing to the people, bow the knee, means to bow in respectful submission. It's kind of like those who guard our high dignitaries or even foreign officials when they arrive. 
It's hard to imagine what Joseph must have felt during this time. From having to bow before all these others for 13 years. And now they are all going to bow before him. But there's no indication that this has puffed him up, has caused him to be proud or arrogant. Because for most people, it probably would. Just think about it. Joseph has gone from rags to riches in one day. Let's continue then as we read even more about the added benefits. In verses 44 to 45, let's read it. Moreover, Joseph, moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hands or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphina Panea, and he gave him Asentha, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, as his wife, and Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. It's highly possible here that there were those who did oppose Joseph's advancement, which may have been the reason why Pharaoh makes this announcement by repeating that grant, stating that without the authority of Joseph and permission that no one can do anything in all the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh, because of that solemn sanction then, he also gives Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zafina Pania. Now, it's interesting because nobody really knows what the, what, that interpret, what the interpretation of that name means. Some thinks it's God speaks and lives, but no one knows for sure what it means. But think about it. The giving of a new name, it was a common thing in the ancient world to give your subjects, your slaves, or even those that you have captured and when they become subject of a foreign king. In fact, you remember how Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel and his three friends new names. But also, since Joseph had been in Egypt for so many years, he's been in prison, and the Pharaoh may have thought that this might calm the tensions between Joseph and his other counselors, especially after promoting Joseph so quickly to the high office of second in command. But what makes this so exciting, I think, for me, and I hope it does for you, is that this is true for everyone here as a believer in Jesus Christ, as his children, as it says in Revelations 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden matter. I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Are you looking forward to that day? Get a new name. Just like Joseph, we're all going to receive a new name. But let's continue then, as Pharaoh is still not done. What we are reading here is how thoroughly the Pharaoh intends Joseph to appear as an Egyptian, so much so that he gave Joseph a wife named Athena the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of the temple of On, or as some call it, Anu. Anu was one of four great Egyptian cities. It was also called Helopolis, which was known in Greek as the chief city of the sun. However, the Egyptians like to call it Onu, meaning pillar city, or city of columns, as you can see in the background of some of those pictures. It was the source, though, of many myths, 
and legends, and it's located about 10 miles northeast of Cairo. Her father then, as chief priest, he would have presided over all the major festivals as well as supervising all of the other priests. Her name, Asenta, means gift of the sun god. Asenta was a high-born, aristocrat, Egyptian woman. And so Joseph's marriage to a priest's daughter, many commentators think, may have made Joseph outwardly appear as Egyptian. Now, we may tend to think of Joseph on easy street. But in reality, it's the greatest test coming of his life. Think about this. He has been faithful to God while he's in the pits. But this is where it is stilled upon him, the dependence upon God for his deliverance. Three times there was only one way to look, and that was up towards God, trusting God. But now God has placed him at the pinnacle. He is living like the life of an Egyptian where pride and dependence, independence is begging him to go. As I stated earlier, instead of him now bowing before others, all of Egypt would be bowing towards him. But why give Joseph an Egyptian wife? Why is a sentimentioned at all here? It's because God has plans for her and Joseph. During the course of their marriage to Joseph, Asenta will have at least two children, which Wes is going to explain for us in a couple weeks. He'll tell us all about that. Well, Joseph is now 30 years old. He was 17 years old when he was sold. 13 years later now, at 30, he is second in command of Egypt. It would have been very easy for Joseph to have just forgot and begin to look down on all men, all mankind, and, as, and hated them because of the way he had been treated and mistreated. Instead, he is, could be concerned about his own needs. You think that would be the case of most people? Probably. And the, you may have a question here. You, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. How could, how could even a pharaoh set a Hebrew prisoner over the land of Egypt on the basis of a dream's interpretation without ever waiting to see if it was true? Amazing, in it, when you think about that. But we can find the answer to that in Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He wishes. Have you ever heard the saying, the cream rises to the surface? Well, Joseph is God's cream. And he has seen to it that Joseph has risen to the top. Joseph was God's chosen instrument to save Jacob and the nation of Israel. Just like we are God's chosen people to be his bride, the church. And just as God gave Joseph a gift to interpret dreams, God gives each one of us a gift to use for his glory. However, if I was to ask, how many of you know your gift? There would probably be some who say, I, I don't know, I just don't know. Well, how can you know what your gift is from God? Well, you may not know it, but you're not going to find it either unless you try. That means you get involved. That means here at Countryside, we have over, I think, 47 different ministries that you can get involved in or, or a volunteer, and most every one of them need help. 
And when you do that, when you volunteer and you get involved and you are really enjoying it and you're really doing a great job, there may be some people come up to you and say, wow, I think that's your gift. But you're not going to know unless you try. You know, maybe you just need to step out in faith. Remember, Joseph had been prepared. He had been trained for this powerful position that he is now occupying. From a prideful youth, as a slave of Potiphar's house, as a prisoner wrongly accused, and now second in command of Egypt. So don't think that you don't have a gift that the Lord can't use. Don't give up. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to lead you in finding it and using it then for the benefit of His church for His glory. Well, let's continue then as we end today's lesson by reading of Joseph's response. Now, Joseph was in verse 46. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. And so he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus, Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. And so Joseph's act here was one of obedience. Obedience, that's the character trait of every true worshiper of God. Every believer is one of obedience. And God still wants that from you and from me. Well, Joseph says... It says, Joseph went through all the land of Egypt. Just as he had a great task to accomplish as in, short, in such a short amount of time. Think about that. He would have to go to every city. He would have to build storage facilities. He would have to appoint overseers. He would have to appoint guards to watch over these facilities to protect them. And then in verses 47 to 48, during the seven years of plenty, he did just as God had told Pharaoh, and it produced abundantly. So every year at the end of the harvest, Joseph had all the overseers gather a fifth of every field, place it in the storage facilities, and in verse 49, it was like the sand of the sea, so much they couldn't even measure it anymore. Well, Joseph has certainly done what the Pharaoh had told him to do, hasn't he? According to the plan, and the abundance is running over, but what now? What now? How will Joseph react? He has a new name now, a new wife, new clothing, everything that would seem to make most people forget where they had come from. We see it all around us today, don't we? <laughs> when we get to the top, when people get to the top, when they become very rich, they seem to forget. They think they deserve everything they have, <laughs> that they're one of a kind, and they have superiority superiority over others. That could have been the picture with Joseph. However, we just read that Joseph responded well. He believed everything that God had revealed to him. He had retold it to Pharaoh, who had rewarded him. He had rewarded him with all the greatness of wealth and fame, and yet it didn't seem to dull his response for God's goodness. And so in our lesson, Joseph gave himself to carrying out for Pharaoh what God had revealed regarding those seven years of plenty. But as far as the seven years of drought and the famine that's coming, 
you're just going to have to wait and see how God uses Joseph in this new stage of his life. So what's the application for us this morning? How should we respond in regards to this lesson? How can I be sure of God's guidance in all my decisions? Well, first, you have to not doubt what God's will is for your life, if you do doubt. Think about Micah 6, 8, where he says, I have told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? To do justice, then, means to do what is right. We know it in our hearts, what we should be doing. Do it. To show kindness, that means we should love one another, as Scripture tells us. And we should be humble. And when we are humble, then that leads us to how we should love, how we should worship and serve our God, our Creator, and our King. You know, God sees our afflictions. He hears our cry. He knows our sorrows. And He will deliver you out of it because that's the goodness of God. Just as we've seen in the life of Joseph. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good for His Loving kindness, his steadfast love is everlasting. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, he says, The Lord is good, he's a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. So in closing this morning, remember. Remember God's goodness. And after we remember God's goodness, rejoice in God's goodness. And after you remember and rejoice in God's goodness, we should thank Him for His goodness because then we will find great joy in our God by thanking Him and praising Him. As I close this morning, as I always like to do, will you stand with me and close with singing one of our old, my old favorite hymns? It's called, He Leadeth Me.